What's up, everybody? This is Mixtapes. I'm your host, Eric Stanglin, and today, our guest on our show, he does it all. He's a touring musician, owns his own record label, hosts open mic nights and showcase concerts, and even juggles knives. If you're an inspiring artist and want to learn more about the do-it-yourself lifestyle, listen closely to Mr. Spike McGuire. How are you doing today, sir? Doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on the new podcast, bud. Absolutely, man. I'm really, really stoked that you came on the show. Let's talk about early Spike. Born and raised in Reno, is that correct? Proud of it. You know it. Right on, man. Right on. So so tell me about your early, early childhood. When did the music bug kind of bite you? Oh, early on. That's I would say my earliest memories are sitting in front of my mom's record player, listening to uh, great records that she was showing me. She was a rock journalist back in the day here in Reno. So she would, you know, do interviews and write-ups of all the big concerts as they came through town. And she was like, man, oh, man. That lady was just everywhere that was worth being. She was at Monterey Pop Festival when Hendrix lit his guitar on fire. She still has like the postcard invitation to Monterey Pop Festival that they sent like to her house. What, uh, what so, am I doing interviewing you? I, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm surprised that she doesn't get more interviews than I do. And I'm sure she would be thrilled to be on the show. Well, I will definitely have her on the show because I want to pick her brain about that because Hendrix is one of my favorite guitar players. That's amazing. Oh, I didn't know she was a, my favorite all time favorite. Oh, amazing. Sure. I didn't know she was a rock journalist in Reno. And how many years have you known her? I just thought Months. she was a music. I just thought she was a music lover, man. I had no idea. Yeah. God, how, the real deal. How cool is that? I'm going to get a hold of your mom. She's going to she yeah. has to be on the show. That would be. Oh, amazing. yeah. She'd love it. She'd we love should. It. We should actually put both of you on the show together. That'd be hysterical. Yeah. Um. So early on, so you have your mom, and and I was going to mention that too because I knew about the Monterey. I did know about that. Yeah. Um. So you, you get into music early on from your mom. When do you start deciding that you want to be in entertainment, or or when you want to start, you know, picking up an instrument? Uh, I was kind of a late bloomer. I didn't get a guitar till I was like sixteen. I want to say. Okay. I was. I started in entertainment. Early, you know, my dad was the director of entertainment at Circus Circus. Uh, so I kind of grew up around those those sorts of entertainers and did a bit of that myself. And, uh, you know, I guess kind of spent those younger years doing that kind of performing. Finally got myself a guitar uh, when I was like 16. I always wanted to play. And that was finally uh, one of my very good friends, Crystal Hallman, that I went to high school with. She gave me my first guitar. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, immediately, uh, you know, just... Luckily enough, happened to know the best guitar teacher in town, so I hit them up and started taking lessons. Nice. And now here I am on his podcast all these years later. <laughs> Look at you. That's you're, right. You're a star now. <laughs> <laughs> so so you get the guitar, you take lessons. I obviously remember you taking lessons from me and stuff, and one of the biggest things I remember was how quick you were to writing songs. Not a lot of yeah. people not a lot of people are like that. Um, I want to give a shout out to Spencer Mead from the Washoe. Um, he was another student of mine that he was very quick in, you, you know, basically writing songs and picking up songs. And you did that really fast. And, and you seem to just have a, a knack about navigating yourself through all that stuff. Did you have friends in bands when you were younger? Like, how did you, how did you get to that point where you were just out of nowhere, basically just writing songs and basically performing? Um, so I went to a performing arts high school. It was like a short-lived performing arts high school here in Reno. And I was really into like plays and playwriting. And then, uh, you know, I was probably like 14 or 15 around that time and saw Dead Poets Society. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's yeah. that's a life I could live. So then, you know, me and me and some friends would start like hanging out in the park and like reading poetry and writing poetry. So I was like, you know, really into 
prose and poetry kind of right before I got into music. So it was a really natural transition for me to go from writing poems to writing lyrics, you know. And it's definitely lyrics are just poems with the part that repeats every so often. And it's definitely different though, because when yeah. you're when you're writing lyrics compared to writing poetry, you actually have to fit lyrics in a context of a song, in like totally. you know, in bars and stuff. Where poetry, a lot of it's freeformed if you want it to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I'm sure that helped for sure. So you end up you end up leaving Reno for a bit. You end up going to Chicago. And, and I did, I, yeah. I think that was a huge part of your development. So tell the listeners about what Chicago did for you. So I moved to Chicago to go to college. I went to Columbia College, Chicago, uh, which was kind of carrying on that theater thing. I got my degree in theater with a concentration on acting. And that's when I really started, um, you know, playing shows musically and doing stuff like that. My first show was I played the Chicago Peace and Freedom Festival in 2008. Nice. Um, that was like my first music gig. And then I've stuck with it really ever since. But yeah, that was a blast. We used to play, you know, like a lot of uh, like art gallery shows and, um, you know, loft parties and just all those like the fun, illustrious movie vision of big city college life. <laughs> you know, it's just like that to a T every night. And tons of fun shows and really kind of broadened my musical horizons. And then... Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I was doing a lot of improv comedy while I was there, and I was the marketing director for an improv theater, which I think helped me a lot on kind of the promotional aspect of the business. But then also doing the improv, I think, uh, is an asset for the live shows. You know, I get complimented on my banter skills a lot. I think banter is one of my strengths as, a, <laughs> as an entertainer, and that's a, a large part of where that came from. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. I mean, other than we've known each other forever. I mean, I know you when you were trading pogs back in the day, but uh, I've known you that I long. still have all of my pogs. Do you really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Are they worth like a ton of money now? In sentimental dollars? Hell yeah. <laughs> is that like exposure bucks? <laughs> yeah, dude. They're priceless to me. That's amazing. Um, but I, I think the thing that's really cool, why I wanted you on the show for the most part is, is this is more like a storyteller show and... I want everybody have on the show. I, I I feel like has a story, and I feel like if if you don't even know who you are, like you know the people are listening, I feel like there's great value, and that's what I'm hoping to get with this podcast. And one of the things that I think about with you is how you're really somebody that that really has created your own brand. And I don't want to use brand because it sounds too corporate, right? Even though I just use the word brand, but I feel like you understand how to make things happen for yourself in the true punk do-it-yourself way, but I feel like all of the things you just described are things mm -hmm. that helped you along the way. So for a young aspiring artist or musician, they can listen to this pod today and go, hey, you know what? It might be smart to take a theater class. Hey, you know what? Yeah. I, never, I never thought about you know doing improv. You know, And you're right. Those skills help out because you know how many times you've been on stage before where you're, you're playing a crowd and you're like, oh, this crowd does not like us at all. And then sure. by the end of the time you're bantering, you maybe start winning some of that crowd over. You know, yeah. open, open it up for national acts, right? I mean, they're totally. not there to see you. Maybe some some of them are, but they're there to see the, the headliner. But if you stay the course and you have something like, like you said, good banter, by the end of the show, you might win some more of those people over than you thought. So one, totally. one, of, the re one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I felt like when you came back from Chicago, you definitely had a different spring you know, in your step. And I was like, whoa, he's definitely hit that next like level. You know, then you started playing in bands, right? And you were doing the other thing I thought was awesome is you were pumping out solo records. Yeah. So even at a younger age, you had that, 
you know were you doing them were you doing it old school were you doing four tracks uh no i put out you know everything in my younger years was always like some kind of demo that i have a reason that it doesn't count as an official release you know but uh yeah just straight into computer computer recording for the most part so right off the bat you're starting to learn the ins and outs of your sound what you like what you don't like what you can get away with what you can't get away with oh this microphone's awful you know and i'm, I'm bringing this up now because we're going to talk about it later but sure yeah i mean that's definitely like you know i got my first little recording set up probably like 12 years ago or so and i would say after about 10 years of it it's like okay i get how this stuff works now you know, there <laughs> right. is definitely there is definitely a certain amount of truth to that um what it's like 10,000 hours or a thousand hours or something i think it's 10,000 it's 10,000 hours, 10, hours. yeah 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 no i agree with you man 100 percent. so let me let me make sure i get this correct six mile station is your first real big band correct yeah now I want to go in order just so I don't mess this up. Were you doing Loudest Folk first or were you doing Six Mile Station first? I can't remember. I was doing Loudest Folk first. Loudest Folk is about a year and a half older than Six Mile Station. So let's talk about Loudest Folk. All right. All right. So explain to the listeners what Loudest Folk is. I don't even know how to explain what it is anymore because it's so many things, but I'll try and go chronologically and that should give some awesome. understanding um we started in 2011 at the alley which was there on victorian avenue um as a monthly songwriter showcase so it was like it was right after i had moved back from chicago you know and i kind of had like a a good little crowd and a good little niche out there but also it's um a lot more expensive and cold out there than it is out here so i wanted to come home you know like i said i got the degree in theater and i was like well i could either be like a broke actor for 10 years or i could be a broke musician for 10 years but you it would do be both. difficult to be. A, it, well, I figured it would be more difficult. <laughs> I thought I would be broker longer if I tried to do both. So I was like, I'm going to go back to Reno, just focus on the music thing. Um, so it really, it just kind of hatched as kind of a, a devious ploy, you know, to build my own fan base. I was like, the, I mean, the alley approached me about doing a songwriter showcase. And I said, yeah, as long as I can call it loud as folk. I'm in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the plan was always just that I would get like, you know, three or four local acts and host the show and play in between everybody. So that way, you know, I get three or four different people kind of bring in their Reno acoustic music fans who are forced to suffer through at least one of my songs <laughs> in between, you know? Um, and so that's how it started. It started as the monthly showcase and, uh, you know, definitely a big thanks to guys like um, Dave Barry and Cliff Forder who were like already very successful and doing very well, but we're like down to just, you know, come and kick it at this fledgling little, under attended event you know and stay with the buster blue crew definitely had like a lot of help from cool reno people in the early days uh so we did that there until 2015 when the alley closed and then we moved like without even missing a beat we moved to picnic and did it there for uh pretty much until the pandemic shut things down but around 2014 uh during kind of the last series of shows at the alley um kepi Gooley came and played one of those and then we were chatting with Kepi and we were like, you know, we're kind of thinking about like making a tour out of this. So then Kepi Gooley came on the first Loudest Folk tour with us. So in 2014, it kind of became about like, you know, taking the Reno network outside and showing them off and kind of crossing paths with some of the touring acts that had come in for Loudest Folk. And then the touring is what led to the studio in, uh, I 
think maybe it was 2016. I'd have to check the archives. That seems about right. Me and Greg Gilmore were out on tour and we were just kind of talking about like, you know, how tough it is to always be relying on somebody else for something. And we were like, we probably got enough stuff. Like we can just pool our resources, like have our own studio and just like do it all. And then we came back and that's what we did. We like got to work and put the studio together. And, uh, you know, we definitely like brought some friends down and had some fun. It's hard. We're not really into like, just being an open to the public studio and recording whoever wants to record. Cause I've got to be like, I have to be really passionate about the songs to want to listen to them enough times to do them justice on the recording end and the mixing end. I love that. So it was like, you know, kind of just like friends that were touring through or whatever we kick around down here, but we were always more interested in doing shows. Um, and then when things shut down, then it was kind of like, once there were no shows, it was like, Oh yeah, we got like this whole sweet studio. And so I was like kind of kicking around through the, the archives and I was like, oh man, there's, we actually have done a lot more down here than I thought. And so I started putting together a little compilation, uh, the loudest folk early recordings. And we used that to launch a record club. So now once a month we're recording a different songwriter or duo or trio, and then we're sending that out to members on uh, CD, vinyl, cassette. Um, we've got streaming options, download options. We do like a limited release, uh, non-member order window. So, you know, I guess the short answer to your question is uh, Loudest Folk is a multimedia songwriters showcase highlighting artists from all the different uh, roots genres, pretty much, you know, whether it's punk or folk or country or whatever. It's a great answer because it shows where you started, Mm -hmm. what it morphed into, but also keeping the roots of what it is, which I think is awesome. I also love that you're being um, very picky and not in a, a egotistical way, but in like, we're not just going to have anybody come record. I love that because yeah. to me, it's like it, you're really, you know, you're really putting your heart and soul into every project and you're not feeling burnt. You know what I mean? Totally. And yeah. You got, you got everything there, you know, and, and Greg has, you know, been a great friend to you and, and you guys work really well together. Um, and now, now Greg's actually doing the video side of it too, right? Yeah, Greg's doing the videos as well. We put out a video. Um, you know, everything is member-based, but we do like one single that's kind of available to the public on Spotify and Apple Music. And we do the music video for YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, Greg's been doing those. And uh, there's just no end, no end to that man's talents, you know? Anytime he picks up something new, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, we got a young Tarantino over here. Well, and you and and he's also you know a serious XM DJ for a week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's uh, he's a real go getter. It's I love working with Greg because he's definitely got that same gusto. You know, it's oh, it's been hard for me over the years to kind of find people who had both the passion and the drive. You know what I mean? And Greg is a very driven guy, so it's like a real uh, real lucky that I get to be friends with that guy. Well, and then it's the push pull too, right? Like you have to get, yeah. you have to be you, you, with somebody that you get along with too. On top of that, too, because if you guys don't share the same vision or you don't have the, you don't have that working relationship where you can push and pull ideas, that yeah. no matter how driven you are, it's it's not going to work. Totally, and it, I mean, you know, all of our stuff is under a pretty tight deadline now because we're doing one of these a month, so it's um... which is amazing, by the way. I mean, it, it's. <laughs> It's crazy to think, you know, you know, we were supposed to have you on the show a couple of days ago, but you, you were like, man, I got to put all these records together and whatnot. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. We'll get you on. 
And I'm just thinking, like, how cool is that? That like everything is going on in Reno. In, in you, yeah, I mean, every I mean, because you know the touring thing I thought was so smart when you did that back in the day. You know, and then you forgot to talk about the open spike night oh, that yeah, you host too, and that also. I think in a way, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm assuming. I don't think I am. It's also a way for you to almost cultivate new talent. You know, totally. And, yeah, and it's like a great place for me to get to meet people and see people. And uh, you know, if there's one thing that I've learned over the years of like working with tons of different artists, is that uh, the recordings they have posted online don't always do justice to like seeing them live. You know, so it's a great opportunity for me to like really see people and like hang out, get to talk to folks and. And that's like, you know, Loudest Folk is definitely folk-centric. And I, I've always thought that kind of the main the main cool thing about folk music is that it's like so community-oriented. Right. You know, like if you go back to like the Woody Guthrie's and the Pete Seeger's, you know, like Pete Seeger's kids wanted to go swimming in the Hudson River. And he was like, oh, you can't do that because it it's like toxic. You can't yep. go in there. And the kids were like, yeah, but we want to do it. And then Pete Seeger was like, all right, well, I, I'll buy a boat. And then with a boat and the power of song and friendship, Pete Seeger and all these people just like cleaned up the river and all their kids got to go swimming in it because it was like safe to swim in. You know, I don't think the Hudson's ever safe to swim in. Maybe it was safer. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of a different river, but God damn it. Pete Seeger cleaned a river and the kids got to swim and it's all thanks to folk music. Well, how cool is that though, man? You know, and, and really I just had Eric Anderson on the show and we were talking about open mic nights and talking about how it's such a great way to, you know, start off. But I also think it's a great way to introduce new songs to people when you're an established artist to go, let me see if this song works or let me see, let me yeah, see what totally. I might want to change. You know what I mean? So it's it's nice to have that avenue. And and Reno, for the people that don't know, and this isn't a Reno centric pod, even though there's going to be quite a bit of Reno guests on here. Um, Reno is kind of like this hidden gem when it comes to music talent no one really yeah. gets out of here and makes it big you know, in that sense but there's so many artists that could it's really I, yeah, interesting i always call it the unrealized arts mecca of the western world it that's pretty damn accurate man i mean yeah think, think about how lucky we've been over all the years to see the amazing amount of talent in our backyard where you literally can go i mean think of some of the people you've seen i mean you know tim snyder friend of mine you know probably a friend of yours too yeah um i would go see him at walden's which is totally. for the, for the people that are, are not from reno it's basically just a coffee house you know what i mean that serves some food and has some alcohol and you're seeing a guy who's now playing in a band that's headlining red rocks i mean come on you know what i mean like yeah. Whitney, yeah, totally. whitney meyer eric anderson uh you know, Buster Blue. There's so many Mud Sharks. I mean, there's so many bands. Gunshot Liquor, Astronaut, Man, Fat Couch. I could go on forever. Mud Sharks, big influence on me for sure. I was like, I don't remember what year Crack and Porcelain came out. Probably right around the same time I met you, like 94 maybe. 94. Uh, yeah, 93, 94. Maybe even 92. Um, um, yeah. Could be. But yeah, but my sister brought that home and I was like, oh my God, like great music can just be from where you're from. It was like, I don't know, right. just like, yeah. even as young as I was at the time, it like really left an impression on me that I was like, oh, you don't have to be like, you know, born in the Hollywood sign to be a famous rock star. Like you could just like, and they there's sold, great bands in your own town. They sold an enormous amount. Don't quote me on this, everybody out there in Musicland, if I'm wrong, Renoites, but I, I think they sold somewhere 
close to 30,000 CDs of that record. Damn. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. It's great. I still listen to that record on a pretty regular basis and it really holds up. It, it does. I agree with you. And uh, it's a shame you weren't, I don't want to say 21. I mean, shame you weren't like 17 or 18 to be able to sneak into the, to the places they yeah. were playing. But uh, they legit were probably the biggest band. I, I mean, I'm going to say between them and Fall Silent in my opinion, are the two biggest drawing Reno bands that also had an enormous impact on the music scene, in my opinion. You know totally. what I mean? Like, just insane. So after you're doing all this stuff, you put Six Mile together, which I think is, is a really ambitious, interesting project because, well, I'll let you tell the listeners about Six Mile. Uh, so Six Mile Station is uh, pretty much a five-piece punk band disguised as an Americana band because there's more money in doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I just, you know, I've always loved that, that kind of real ripping alt-country Americana, like, but still, you know, more punk lean. Like a lot of those great punk people have kind of crossed over, like Kevin Seconds doing awesome acoustic stuff now, Chuck yep. Reagan from Hot Water Music, like... Uh, his first side project rumble seat was like one of the main things that really got me wanting to make music. So definitely like kind of more of that punk feel, but we've got a pretty, uh, impressive array of instruments as I sing and play guitar. And then we've got Jeff Knight who plays drums. Uh, great drummer. One of my best friends. Love that guy. We've got Brendan Lund who is from Buster blue. He plays bass. Um, who I've actually, I've known him known him for a very long time i met him at juggling club when i was like 15 so oh, wow. you know it's it's all related it does all it, it does. does all correlate it does and then uh we've got john underwood who with us he plays uh trumpet trombone and banjo for the most part uh but if you ever have a chance to see him and this goes beyond reno because he tours all over the place all the time john's solo project is uh he plays 12 instruments through loop pedals and it's it's really cool it's a wow. sight to behold for sure and then uh the other member in the band is Nathan Carter, who plays fiddle and accordion and uh, mandolin. He's another guy who just plays like more instruments than I could possibly list. Right. So it's really fun to have those guys kind of mix up the sound because we can go from, you know, some kind of more like Baltic, like klezmery, wild stuff to just, you know, some straight up bluegrass or something a little more punk or a little more ska. Well, We're yeah, a party because... band. We're a party band that only plays originals. See, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Well, it's cool because you make a great point because if you have a if you have multiple people in your band that can play multiple instruments, like it can definitely change the sound from song to song. Totally. You know, depending on what they want to choose to play in that specific song. Throw a banjo yeah. in, you're getting a certain sound. Throw an accordion, you're getting a certain sound. Take both the instruments away, you're getting a certain sound. You know, not a lot of bands can say that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's like something I've always like kind of strived for is, um, you know, there's definitely been plenty of bands that I like, but after a while, it's just like kind of all like the same. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I really like to, I definitely like to have a wide variety of sounds. And the fun challenge of that is then still like finding the way to have a cohesive sound as a band. You know what I mean? No, totally. Which I think we've done. I'm excited. It's, we were on hiatus for like, probably a year before the shutdown. I think if we would have known that the shutdown was coming, we probably <laughs> probably would have stuck it out another year. That right, hiatus. right. But um, we've been back together and jamming and we just played a big show at Crystal Bay Club not too long ago. And we've got uh, material for a second album that we're going to start recording 
uh, in just a couple of weeks here, actually. And then you're going you're to be recording at your studio then? Yep. Nice. It's so cool to have that control, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's like it costs so much to record that it's like you just spend that money on buying all the stuff to record. You know, if you're going to record three albums that are each going to cost $5,000 in studio time, um, something to be said for just spending that 15000 on studio gear. But then it's also kind of a rub because then you have unlimited time, you know. It's like nice to work under those deadlines of like, okay, this is costing us by the minute. Whereas, you know, when it's all your own stuff, you can be like, ah, oh, yeah, we can we we'll do it next week, the next 10 years, dude. Like get as, uh, it, but it, get it, as it, Dewey Cox as we want, you know, a whole 50,000 didgeridoos, <laughs> a whole army of didgeridoos. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's very balanced, right? It's finding yeah. that balance because here's the other thing too, that I think is interesting. That's difficult. And let's talk about this for a second. So one of the main reasons I love to record in a studio was a the gear I didn't have or the room yeah. I, the room I didn't have or rooms you know what I mean, but also the engineer slash producer. So when you record by yourselves, do you have more than one producer? Do you bring in Greg to help produce? Um, oh yeah. What I mean, I mean by one pro- what I mean by one producer, like do you have more than one producer in your band also? Um. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think with Six Mile, like, everyone's got a lot of, like, recording experience both together and apart. Like, Jeff and Brendan also playing Greg's band, uh, The Fever Dream. So, like, they've done a lot of recording together. So, and then I've also recorded them together for Greg's projects and other stuff. So, like, we've got a really good communication between, like, recording the rhythm section, stuff like that. And then all the record club stuff uh, is definitely, like... 99% of everything we record, me and Greg are together, engineering together, producing together. And, uh, you know, it's like I hesitate to even use the term producing too much on the record club stuff because that we like, we really just want it as raw as possible. Like we give those artists like one take per song. Oh, wow. Guitar and vocals at the same time. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, because we, you know, we just wanted to have that like real live, like sessiony kind of intimate feel, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's like we're very kind of hands off in our production style that way. But then I guess that in itself kind of is a way of producing. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. So wait, so let me ask you a question then. So when someone does a record with you guys, is there like a, I don't want to say a limit because that doesn't make sense. But like, is there like a, is it, was it a five song? Is it an EP or is it more like a standard length album? Uh, It's been like eight to 10 songs, I think, on all of them so far. Um so we do everything here in house. Me and Greg recorded together. Greg does all the mixing and then I do all the mastering. And so um, the kind of mastering tape we use is like 33 and a half minutes long. Okay. And so, so we pretty much just tell everyone it was 33 minutes worth of music. Yeah. And, and that's it. And that's then awesome. and we, we also get like, uh, we record an extra song just because sometimes there'll be like one that's kind of harder to mix or master than the other. So it's nice to have like a little bit of flex. And then we also save those up. We've got like a couple of, uh, they're the plus tiers of the record club right. where for an extra five bucks a month, um, after a certain amount of time, you get a compilation CD of like all the unreleased tracks. So it's like the even more exclusive of the exclusive. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, stuff like that's important nowadays and it's going to go into a question I have for you later. Um, so basically the people you're bringing in really have to have their shit together. In yeah. terms of like, you know what I mean? Like basically one take, 
you know, here you go, guitar, vocals, yada, yada, yada. It's not easy to do, obviously. So, you know, the people you're bringing in are obviously talented musicians. And, and your roster is really strong. I mean, you know, I pay attention a lot on social media, and I know who you're bringing in. And, and every time I'm like, that's another good artist he's bringing in. That's another good artist he's bringing in. So do me, do me a favor real quick before I ask this next question. Can you plug the, uh, the, the record club just so people listening right now can, can go check it out? Yeah, you can get all the info at loudestfolk.com slash record club. And uh, if that's too long for you, you can just go to loudaf.com. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So here's my question to you. And maybe something you thought of or not thought of. Tell me why it's stupid. Tell me why. Oh, maybe it's a good idea. Um, you ever thought about putting like a songwriter live kind of compilation together like you had done with the original Loudest Folk? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's something um, something that we'll see when shows come back more for sure because we've been getting into more like the art centers and seated theaters and stuff, which lends to like really good live recordings. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a few, uh, the first compilation we put out, which is on Spotify and Apple Music and all that, there's live tracks from uh, Rachel McElhaney when we did Valhalla Boathouse Theater and then there's a live track of Whitney Meyer with Jelly Bread. Nice. And then there's another one of uh, Tyler Stafford with Dave Barry and Gia Torcaso. And well, I oh, love wow. I love the live recordings. We just haven't been able to do too much live stuff as of Ye- late. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but the the good news is is that and like me and Eric and Anderson were talking about this yesterday. Um silver linings. You know what I mean? The pandemic yeah, totally. was, was awful to all of us. It really was. Musician-wise. Yeah. I mean, people in general, yes. But musicians are always the low on the totem pole, really. You know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. always the first totally. thing that gets cut, you know, budget-wise. It's always the first thing that, you know, disappears. And and we got crushed last year. But you also figure out a way to keep rolling through it. And I think that was something that we realized in a lot of... We had to take more stuff into our own hands. You know what I mean? Same thing with me. Totally. Stuff I had to think about in terms of that. And I think that's huge. One thing I want to talk about real quick um, is your health because you ended up losing a ton of weight during the pandemic. Like me and you were like <laughs> the, the few people that actually didn't gain weight and actually lost weight during the <laughs> pandemic. But um, I, I want to talk about this because we, we had lunch and we talked about it a bit. But I think it's important for our listeners so you lost, oh, what, almost 100 pounds? Is that correct? 100, full 100 now, yeah. Full 100. That's awesome. A century. Now, tell the listeners how you did it because it was really interesting when you told me because it's not going to be the answer that the listeners are going to think, and then I want to ask you a follow-up about that. Um, I mean, you know, for the most part, it's just like kind of all that shit that they tell you. Like I started sleeping eight hours a night, which regula- regulated the rest of my schedule so that I was like, eating at the same times every day, eating healthier meals, uh, stopped eating meat. So getting like a lot more vegetables and stuff, drinking a ton more water. I mean, just like sleep good, eat vegetables, drink water, like all the, they've tried to tell me hundreds of times throughout my <laughs> life. I was just like, nah, which was, you know, partially, uh, as you know, the touring musician lifestyle is like, yes, I will right, we'll go play a show. And then, We'll be done at like 12 or one and then we'll be loaded out by like two or three. And then the only food is whatever fast food is open. And then you eat that and then you sleep in some uncomfortable position for four hours. Then you sit in the van for six hours and then 
you get some shitty fast food on the way to the show, you know, it, on and on and on and on. And a lot of those times also with copious amounts of alcohol involved. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so here's my question to you. When everything opens up again, whenever the hell that's going to be, because it's like it's like a, it's like a light switch is how I look at it. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we can play shows. Oh, no. People got COVID. We're canceling again. Oh, we can play shows. Yeah. Oh, we can't do it again because now there's a new variant. Oh, it just seems like it's back. It's like it's like a five-year-old flipping a light switch on and off is what it really feels like to me, right? Yeah. So when we do get to that point where we can start playing shows and touring again, how are you going to figure out how to keep the weight off? What's, have you even thought about how do you change a routine to basically understand how to keep that healthy lifestyle as much as you possibly can while you're on the road because you know i've done the road too and it's a trap in a way where it's very easy for you to get complacent very easy for you to eat bad very easy for you not to exercise and all those other things how are you going to find the balance i guess the really the show today is about balance how are you going to find the balance to to not fall back into that trap uh that is a good question and that's definitely something that i've thought about um you know, over the years, I've definitely done a lot of that, just like hitting it hard, grind tour and like, you know, one night you're playing a bar, one night you're playing an abandoned noodle factory that squatters have taken over, like, you know. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. It's, well, it's, like just like kind of brutal, like show after show after show after show. Um, and I definitely kind of before the pandemic hit, I was starting to get into more of a quality over quantity mindset. Good. Good, which is huge. you know and like since the theme of today's show is balance i mean i definitely think that's that's something for new artists to consider a lot is there's you know when you're starting out it really is about like quantity of show like you got to play a lot of shows so people know who you are but then it hits a point where if you're just playing like even if you're playing one show a week in reno you're playing in reno too often you know what i mean thank you preach to the choir um, my friend because <laughs> it's really about like you know, building that draw and whatnot. Cause it's like, I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, especially at like the smaller level of things, the promoter has been to an extent eliminated. You know what I mean? So it used to be the bar would have somebody that they actually like paid a reasonable amount of money to, to like put these shows together and promote them and make sure everything goes smoothly. And as you said, like music slowest on the totem pole, that's where things get cut. So that's like, there's certainly not promoters like there were. So it's the bar uh, who expects the band to bring all the people. And right. a lot of the time the band is expecting the bar to bring all of the people. Um, and it's like, you know, the bar should be advertising the bar should be bringing all of the people, but like, you can't, that's like the important thing about, I guess, anything beyond music is you can't rely on outside forces for too much. You know what I mean? So if you want to get booked more and there's like, you know, kind of like not the greatest deals when you're starting out. But if you do, like if you bring a lot of people, that's a good negotiating point for getting yourself better deals. So it's like, you kind of got to come out running and just like play everywhere all the time as much as you can. And then you got to reel back from that a little bit and think about your home market and maybe some other regional markets, you know, like instead of playing Reno once a month, if you or once a week, you're playing, Reno once a month, you're playing Sacramento once a month, you're playing San Francisco once a month, and you're playing, you know, like LA once a month. Then instead of burning your wheels 
in one town and overplaying and people are like, oh, I'm not going to go because I know that I can just see him next week. You know what I mean? Bingo. You like start to spread those shows out and use that time to build up your other markets as well, uh, which I this is a very <laughs> roundabout and long answer to my plans for staying healthy on the road. But no, no. But listen, listen, this is <laughs> this is information that I think is important. And this could go to young aspiring musicians or it could go to people that have been in town for a long time that have been playing and not understanding why you're not drawing or not understanding why. I, sure. Dude, go, go as long as you want on this because really I think these are things that are important that a lot of people missed a boat on. Like perfect example, we mentioned False Silent earlier in the show. False mm-hmm. Silent would play once a month and it would be like a 30 to 40 minute show. So what does that become now? It becomes an event. Think yeah, about totally. This. I'm going to use this as a hysterical example. Imagine if Metallica played Reno every week. You think they draw every week? Probably not, no. because they no. go, "We'll just go see Metallica next week." Now, I'm not comparing it's false on to Metallica or, or anything, but if you have that mentality, realizing even the best bands would not draw consistently because you're not giving them a reason to go. I have to see them because they're only playing this one time this month. Totally. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. And this is like also unrelated from the health point, but very related to what we were just talking about um, in things that people don't talk about enough and bringing people to shows is like social media is all fine and well. It's like kind of sucks for promoting these days more than it used to, but like posters and flyers, I cannot stress enough, like putting up posters and handing out flyers for your shows helps bring people to shows like way more than any of the internet stuff period. There's this old marketing adage where you have to see something seven times before subconsciously your brain goes, Oh yeah, I heard of that. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like you get those posters up around town and that's kind of what you're trying to elicit. There is just like that subconscious recognition of it. And then flyers, like, you know, you can just send out invites to Facebook events all you want. And it's not that personal or anything, but if you like or meet somebody at the bar and you're talking to them and you like give them a physical flyer, it's just like a whole, I don't know. It's like an, an experience kind of like connecting with that person. And they're like way more likely to come, you know, you're, you're totally right, man. I mean, it's, it's look back in the old days and not the old, old days, but back in the old days, <laughs> um, me and Bo used to get in his truck and we would go flyer the telephone poles. And then me and Kyle Archuleta, uh, another Reno uh, gentleman that played in uh, a big Reno band back in the day called Arch. Uh, we would actually go on campus and yeah. we would literally just pass out flyers and meet people. And you know, it was crazy. We actually saw some of those people at our shows. We'd be like, Hey, we're playing the wall. This is not, you know, we'd love to see you. You know, if you like this kind of music, you know, here's a flyer and whatnot. Sometimes you talk to them for a minute or five minutes, or sometimes they'd be like, whatever, or they'd walk right by you, whatever, you know, yeah. but, but you are right because nowadays with Facebook, and I notice this more even with Instagram, which is really a drag, everything becomes so, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? So corporate that you're not even reaching the people you think you're reaching with it. No, before before earlier, even. you were, and it was great. But now it's like you're just not reaching those people. So you got to pay. Yeah, it's it, like, yeah, and it's, it's 100% if you're going to rely on social media for your marketing or advertising for shows, like, pay the money you got to pay the money otherwise nobody's gonna see it and then it's also it sucks because like they got the boost button on all the shit that you post that's like boost this do that and that's like not even that's not even how you run good ads on all of that stuff it's like so deep and convoluted that 
it's uh, it's yeah, just put up posters and flyers. Go old school, man. But you know what, though, that's the big thing, and it's the one thing we do miss, and we have missed it in the pandemic. It's just that interaction between people personally in front of each other. Totally. You know, uh, another thing that I would do, you know, I tell aspiring musicians that I teach, go to an open mic night, and meet people. You know what totally. I mean? Go see. Yeah, well, we used to do open spike night back in the day. Like, there's quite a few pretty good bands that formed just from people meeting. Yeah. There, you know what I mean? I'm pretty sure that's where Lucas Paul and Big John met uh, before they started Cowboy Indian, Cowboy Indian, which was a great band. I always had a blast seeing. And yeah. Yeah. And you back off of that, another thing is like, you know, support the other artists, go to other people's shows. And which is also like, if you're like a singer songwriter trying to get people to your singer songwriter show in two weeks and you go support another singer songwriter at their show, you're going to be talking to a lot of people who like going to singer songwriter shows. I'm like, that's a great place to hand out a flyer. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we agree on one other thing too? Can we stop doing eight, nine bill band shows that aren't like festival type shows? <laughs> oh yeah. Can we stop yeah, doing I, that? I was over that a long time ago. Hint, hint, for hint. sure intent metal scene in town <laughs> can we stop doing that like I, I mean it's so overkill and all you're doing is bringing the same basically crowd but now you're watching eight or nine bands and really if you really think about it how focused are the people totally throughout that whole entire show i mean man i would even like to take it a step further you know it's like people always have the thing about if you're going to go to a show go to the full show and support the full bill which like I do appreciate that in theory, and I don't disagree with it, but also, and I know Reno is not alone in this, but Reno is very much a town. It's like funny that the beer crawls are so popular because like Reno has always been a crawl town Mm -hmm. because there's so many great bands. There's so many great artists. that like a lot of times if I'm going out to see music, I'm going to like four different spots because there's four different shows I want to see and I'm trying to see them all. I wish that we would just get to a point where it's like, let's just put on the flyer the time that every band is playing because it's going to help every band maximize their own draw. And it's going to like help the whole scene kind of work together. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it's like, a, as, great a, idea. as a band, I've always had people be like, Oh yeah, well we're not going to post the times because we want people to be here for the full show. And it's like, that's great. But especially if it's like an eight or nine person bill, like you're saying, or even if it's a four or five person bill, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, we'd like to come out and see your band, but that's like, we don't have five hours to dedicate to this. You know what I mean? So like, let's just kind of maybe accept the market and say, okay, Reno is a town where people like to go show to show to show. And, you know, maybe if, if the venues could kind of coordinate a little bit as well to build that synergy, you know, it's like, I definitely, I don't think that any of the artists in this town are in competition, really. I think the whole scene is like very collaborative and supportive. Totally agree. And I think even a lot of the venues are like collaborative and supportive, but you know, there's definitely still some businesses that are like, Oh, well, like we're trying to run a business here. And it's like, well, you know, run a business all you want, like be a part of the community and you're going to have better results. Uh, you know, the one place I look at and, and this is, this is basically the Reno, Reno sparks section of the show, obviously. Um, but I always looked at uh, Victorian square as being the most missed opportunity on planet earth. Oh, you man. Know what I mean, like yeah. it's it, you could literally have, in my opinion, and I don't even know why this is, and I don't know, but you literally could have every weekend that being like Broadway on in in Nashville, where you oh, yeah. have you'd have you'd have. I mean, and just think about you set it up where you charge a one cover, so it's twenty bucks for the night 
and you can go to all five bars on that row or four bars or whatever. But That'd but the, awesome. but the caveat is is that every one of those bars has to have a band, has to have some form of entertainment, right? But then it's yeah. just like I'm watching this band. Yeah, I'm not really into these guys. Let's go down the street and watch. Oh, whoa, these guys are cool. You know, all right. But you know what? Let's go down to the next bar see who's playing. I th- oh, I think it would just. It's the one place in town you really can do that. If you think about awesome. it. Yeah. You know? and, man, like when we started Loud as Folk, because I was on Victorian Avenue there, like you, I would hear so many people be like, hey, that sounds fun. But I don't, I don't want to drive all the way to Sparks. And it's like, if you hop on the freeway, it's closer than driving to Midtown for most places. You know what I mean? It's like, it's always something. It's always something with these people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, the one thing I think does kill that that the avenue, and I think it does kill Midtown too, is the lack of parking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we're getting so congested that it it is an issue in that sense. But you know what? If you really want to be a part of something and you really want to be a part of something cool, dude, you know what? Walk a bit. It's not a big deal. Park your yeah. car on one of the side streets. Walk a bit. You're going to get some exercise and you yeah. know, you're going to get to see a bunch of cool things. So I don't know if anybody's listening from that neck of the woods, you know, especially that Victorian, you know, run with my idea that me and Spike are giving you right now for free, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to advertise with us, you can do that, too. That'd be great. But um, <laughs> but I would love to see that stuff. I um, I want to talk just a little bit about more about the record label real quick. And what yeah. I want to talk about is um, can you explain the tiers and uh you know, what people are getting when they sign up for the club real quick. That way, I really want to push this for you because I honestly totally, think yeah. local record labels um, are awesome and we've had some great ones in town. And I, I really I really think people don't understand how many great musicians and bands are in this town, how many great artists are. So push the hell out of this real quick for me and just give I the will. listeners um, an idea of why they should sign up like right now while they're listening to the pod. So I never know if we should call it like a record label or not because your record we label. don't your we don't hold label. any like rights. We're not like forcing artists to do anything. It's like more of a club, you know. So once a month we record somebody different, um, put it out on vinyl, CD, and cassette, and like move on. They're not you know bound to loud as folk for anything. And uh, anyway, I don't know. Sorry, I should start over with my elevator pitch. I suppose <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll go with the tiers first. So for a dollar a month. Um, you get to download the single every month. We put out a single and it's on YouTube and all over the place. That one's kind of more just if you want to help us out in a little way. Uh, $5 a month, you get to stream everything we've ever done, um, which is mostly record club stuff. We have a few non-club releases and that's all in the members streaming archive. 10 bucks a month, you can download everything. So, you know, if you want to put it on your iPod or your Zune or whatever, you can do, do you that. Do you say Zune? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, 15 bucks a month. You can get it on cassette or CD. Um, $20 a month is cassette or CD. And then every eight months you're getting a compilation of unreleased material. Like I was talking about a little earlier in the podcast, uh, $28 a month, you get a vinyl and these, you know, all these physical tiers shipping is included. So for 28 bucks, you're getting a vinyl delivered to your door every month. Uh, it's clear lathe cut which I think is like, you know, kind of an extra cool collectible. Anyone who doesn't know what lathe cutting is, that's um, you basically make them one at a time and like cut the grooves into the vinyl. Cause it can be really cost prohibitive to like press vinyl. Right. So that's what's, that's what's helped us be able to offer this vinyl every month is not having to hit like that two or 300 minimum to where right. you start getting the deal on uh, vinyl. Like, you know, if we have a hundred one month and we have like, 
40 the next month it's a lot more feasible with the wave cutting and it's just got like a cool vintage feel and sound to it because that's like how they did it back in the day uh 33 bucks a month is also a vinyl tier but then every five months you're getting the compilation or every eight months you're getting the compilation and there's you know we try to do like members only merch uh here and there and sometimes like we take polaroids for the covers of all of the stuff that comes out and we have like artists do handwritten lyric sheets so you're definitely getting like little perks kind of stuffed in with your fiscal stuff every once in a while um fifty dollars a month you can do you get a vinyl and a cd or cassette or international shipping wow that's unbelievable we got we have two international uh monthly subscribers now we got one in the uk and we have one in switzerland i want to say that's so cool man you know the neat thing about it too is you know i just put out a record uh i don't even have the vinyl yet which is hysterical but i put a rec put a record out in may or june i don't even remember when the hell i did it um Mm -hmm. but but my actual physical vinyl should be coming in september and just because of covid everything got pushed back but i know what it costs for vinyl and all that stuff so that's that's a hell of a deal that you're giving people you know what I mean? Especially and, on the yeah, vinyl Yeah, we end. definitely, we let people know on the vinyl end, um, for members and non-members alike, you can expect about four months of turnaround time before you're actually going to get your vinyl on the mail. Yeah. Um, just because it takes a long time to make, especially the lathe cutting, since it's like hand cut in real time, one by one. Wow. Um, but then also like our non-member order window, everything is made to order. So like we don't keep any back stock. There is no inventory of this stuff. You either get it, or it's gone and that's it so we wait until the sales end that's when we put in the vinyl order and then we got to get the vinyl back and do all the packaging and then ship it out from there so it, it takes a while but i think that most uh, i think most vinyl heads kind of have accepted that about the medium in there oh absolutely okay with it so now um real quick so everything that's physical there's a stop date and that's it right yeah now yep. but everything that's digital is available whenever is that correct or does uh, or you put a stop on that members. too yeah if as long as you're a member of the club uh on one of the digital tiers which is either the five dollar or the ten dollar right. you can stream everything that we've ever put out uh, and that archive will always be there and there's probably we're gonna we've got some stuff that we're not technically allowed to release that i have a feeling is gonna surface uh in the members areas here you know <laughs> i love yeah. that I love that. Um, just from various, like, you know, we've gone to the different radio stations and, like, recorded when they do, like, in the studios. And we've got, like, some other live stuff we haven't put out. And then uh, I was going to say also on my record club, Pitchin, um, we've done a ton of Reno local artists. And, like, we will do a ton more Reno local artists. But we also have a lot of cool touring friends. So Sam Chase did one of the early ones. Uh, I remember that. He's been, he's been voted the best songwriter in San Francisco, like, three times in the Reader's Poll down there. Wow. Um, we had Vic Ruggiero, who's the front man from the Slackers, which is a pretty legendary New York City ska band. And he also plays uh, keyboard and rancid. Nice. Him him, and uh, Lauren Napier, who's another phenomenal talent from Tacoma, Washington. They did it together. And it's like How super cool. cool. Yeah. You know, part of the reason I do the podcast is I love hearing stories and I love just being able to interview people. And I feel like it's the same thing for you in terms of like you're getting to watch these people you know, bands you knew of, bands that you still listen to. Oh, yeah. And they're in your studio cutting something, and then they're you're part of releasing it. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't beat that. I guess my next question I'm going to ask you, and I don't know if this is something that's a reality or not, especially with today's day and age, 
you ever thought about having a storefront? Uh, I mean, you know, I do have this long-term plan where it would be cool to have a storefront, but I don't necessarily know that it'll be anything uh, anytime soon. Right. I would like to have, I don't even know if I should say. Probably, oh, well, don't no. say we'll, we'll, we'll throw it on another. Like it, it, would, it would require too much infrastructure for anyone to steal the idea ever. But what I, what I would like to do is I would like to have like kind of a, a storefront, but slash also a venue, you know, like a loudest folk read my mind. record store and venue and like food and bar. That's why I asked. And, um, but I, I don't want to just have one of those. Like I'd like to have 30 of those on the West coast. Oh, wow. So like, you know, cause we like to do the loudest folk tours or whatever. Right. So I think it'd be great if, uh, if we just had this 30 day loop of cities with loudest folk venues where it's like, you could just hop on anywhere and ride it out for 30 days and wind up right back home where you started. And you know, that if would I be could, amazing. If I could ever like prove that concept to work, which would really take a lot to have like 30 spots on the West coast, I'd like to repeat it on the East coast and in the Midwest. So you could do like, uh like the bottom half of the west coast loop the top half of the middle of the country all of the east coast loop the bottom half of the middle and then the top half of the west coast and just have like 90 straight days that you could hop on anywhere it was just like just this infinity tour basically and here's 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 how you make it work your biggest artist your biggest loudest folk artist in each town Mm -hmm. has to or or let's say the top five one of them has to be on the bill in that totally. club. So that yeah. way, if you have a Reno artist, a Tacoma artist, uh, um, I don't know, let's let's just stay West Coast, a Chico artist, and uh, let's say uh, an LA artist, and they're all playing Reno, you got to have a Reno artist on the bill. And that, totally. and and that mean, way like, they're not playing in front of like a small crowd because no one really knows them. And then the big yeah. scope of things, you want it to be a brand where people are going to go. See, back in the day in town, people went to places because they knew the music was going to be good. So like the Zephyr was one of those places where a lot of times people would just go because they knew, all right, whatever night it's going to be, I'm going to probably see somebody I like. I, you know, Because we had totally. that reputation of bringing in really good bands, if that made sense. So... That was one of those things that I think as you grow that idea, I mean, why the hell not? It's it's really yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, really you know, smart, you know. I, I would even like to just have them host the shows even. Like I've always hosted the Reno one here. I think it would be cool if they were like I would definitely like the local artists to be super involved with it, the venue. It needs to be, man, because if it's not, it makes it a lot harder to get people yeah. to come see people they don't know. It's it's one of the hardest things about touring, as you know. You know what I mean? Why are you going to come see me play if you don't know anything about me? Just like when artists that are established play new songs live. Yeah. It doesn't have that same pop because the people don't know the song, unfortunately. You know what I mean? And I mean, I've like, I've always kind of tried to cultivate that sort of a thing with Loudest Folk where people don't necessarily know who's playing, but they know it's going to be of a certain caliber, like stuff that they're going to like. So, and I definitely, uh, I feel like we've kind of got that going in the reno market so the more that we can you know the more we can get people in san francisco being like oh yeah i don't know these people play it but i've seen a lot of folk before and like it's gonna be great let's go it's super smart man um i have a section on the show called devil's advocate and it's a game it's a game i like to play where i ask the guest a question that i think i know the answer to and then i play devil's advocate to see if you can change my mind okay all right you ready 
Yeah. Okay. Spotify and other streaming sites, a friend or a foe to unsigned artists? Oh, my God. How much fucking time do we have? Let's talk. We can do I, what I, I go. Did. We can go as long I as you want. I go back and forth on this all of the time. Um, it's, a, it's a slippery slope any way you look at it. I mean, the way that I try and think of it is like, you know, I I do like the ability to just be able to play any song, any time, whatever. I do think that's pretty cool. And so if you think about back in the day, how did people find new music the most? I mean, I'm, I'm talking like, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, like back in the day. Yeah. Uh, people were getting their music from the radio. You know what I mean? And the radio, uh, which I think it's maybe a little bit better about this now, or I think maybe they've just kind of found some more loopholes. But like, you know especially in the early days like having a hit on the radio was just a record label paying tons of money to be like play this payola. song on the radio you know yep, what i mean yep. which payola is not allowed now but it certainly seems like there's a there's enough sure legal there's, ways to incentivize yeah. you know what yeah. i mean so in the if i'm on the friend side i think that spotify is just kind of like a new equivalency to the radio and I mean, like, to be fair, like, radio is still one of the most listened formats in every demographic. Like, people say it's not, but it is, like, it is. Like, people are listening to the radio all the time. But I think that Spotify kind of serves that same function. So it's like, they are ripping artists off in a big fashion. I mean, you make, like, 0. .003 cents a stream or something. It's, like, pathetic. But, right. you know, in a devil's advocate fashion, I will say I would rather make 0. 0.003 cents a hundred thousand times than pay, you know, $20,000 to have those same plays on the radio. So it's like, I feel like the radio kind of always dicked the artist. So it's just like a new way of dicking the artist. Um, another advantage to it is like, I mean, I'm a Spotify subscriber. I, I'll be honest about that. Full disclosure. Um, right. But I think it's also important to support boutique streaming services as well. You know, like if you could find somewhere out there, like a $5 a month kind of boutique streaming service that was going to bring you new recordings that they made every month, I would definitely subscribe to that, you know, uh, especially if you found it at loudestfolk.com slash record club. Um, <laughs> but like then the other thing about Spotify, uh, where I think it's the biggest friend. And I think that YouTube does this too, which like YouTube is another one that's not really paying you anything unless you have to have like a thousand subscribers before you can even monetize your channel. Right. But the thing, the thing that is positive about the YouTubes and Spotify's is like, if I'm looking for a show, if I'm like, all right, I want to go out, I want to go see a show tonight, but I don't necessarily know any of the people playing or I've never heard of anyone playing. I'll like, I'll look at the flyer or I'll look at the listings and I'll see the artists. And then the first thing I do is go to my Spotify or my YouTube and say, all right, is this somebody whose show I want to go to? So in that sense, it's like you're losing money on the play, but then if it gets you 10 more people coming to your show and two of those people buy a record and one of them buys a t-shirt, then it's like, that is a positive trade-off, I suppose. Um, yeah, my whole thing about Spotify is like, it doesn't, Making no money off of it doesn't bother me at all. Just like the dude that is making money off of it, that's what bothers me. Yeah. And this is like, and I'm sure this will be blasphemous because I think that you're a fan of the band. But like when I was at the age where, you know, a young boy would get into Metallica uh, was 
also the same age where that Lars fellow was like, oh, fuck Napster, pay me a million dollars. Like, we would be way better off if we still had Napster and everyone was just illegally sharing music for free because then at least like one asshole's not making millions of dollars a year. It's like, oh, this is legal now and I'm making all the money. It's like, well, hold on. We could just be doing this illegally. And, and and you know what? You bring up a good point. And uh, not a big Metallica fan anymore. Um, full disclosure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm going to say Lars was right. But the way that he went about it and his arrogance was wrong. Because, yeah, I mean, it's like I don't disagree with the sentiment that the artists are yeah. getting ripped off and the artists should be making that money. But I mean, and like also like to reality check Lars here for a minute and like be real about shit like back in the 90s, the swigging heyday of compact discs, like you were buying a CD for 15 bucks and the artist was probably getting a dollar of that $15. And then yeah. that dollar was probably being deducted from the $250,000 advance that they got to make that album from. Oh God, the advance is probably way more than that. Here's the other thing too that I thought was always ironic was, do you know how Metallica got big? No, tape trading. That's hilarious. So it's like you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna go off on this, but do you know how many times you you tape traded Metallica demos? Yeah, you know what I mean, and and tape traded new wave of British heavy metal records and all that other stuff, and you're then you're gonna chastise people about that. Totally. It's, it's kind of funny, like, but he had a great point because here we are now in 2021, and it's very hard for an artist to make money to the point of just buying gear or you know you know paying for things yeah. that you need as an artist. Or I think the reason why the studios are gone now is because of things like Napster, where why are you going to go into a studio and pay five, ten grand for a record? And I'm talking just like you know, you know, being unsigned, you know, independent. Yeah. I'm not talking about major label stuff. You know, why are you going to do that when you're never going to recoup any of that money, really, when you really think about it? Because then yeah, you're not totally because you're talking also about pricing that you have to make for, you know, you know, getting the CDs or the vinyl or the cassettes on top of that on top. But there's so much stuff. And then the next thing you realize, you're like, I'm in the hole. Like, I don't know. I mean, let's be realistic. You're in the hole like $13,000 before you've even released your product. And then think yeah. about this, you know, I use Spotify too. I mean, Spotify is great for me. I also try to support, but what I always notice is when I'm supporting, it's mostly local artists. Yeah. Uh, my vinyl collection is all local, which is really cool. Um, but then it's like, you're that far in the hole. How, how do you, then how do you tour? How do you do this? How do you promote? I mean, you, you see how the hole is being dug. You know, that's why the, the studios are going bye-bye because people can't really afford to be in the studios anymore. So well, it was and plus the power you know, is more readily available for people to record themselves. You know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But a lot of people shouldn't be recording But then you're still either. going in a hole on the ear. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? I mean, it's like, I think what it all boils down to is it's just like um, this nightmare hellscape of a business where people have just been mercilessly fucked over and over since day one. And so... Yeah, absolutely. I think well, everyone I know, I think just accepted that at some point and is like, but I love it too much. And here we are, you know, now, how do you, here's my thing is I, I, I have a, you know, an idea of how to turn it back to the direction for me as a, you know, as a musician artist, 
when do the artists start turning it back to themselves? Obviously, you're doing it too. You know what I mean? But like, when do yeah. we when do we finally say, hey, we've had enough. How do we figure out? How? And because, you know, really, when you think about it, you know, it, it's you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning while, you know, kissing Jennifer Aniston than you do yeah. you know, getting signed to a record label, really. I mean, like a major record label, right? So it's like, how do you figure out how to find your audience and make it to the point where it's profitable enough that you actually can be an artist and not have to work a 40, 50 hour a week job and then do your art yeah. on the side? I mean, you know, it's like it's playing the shows and making the connections and just like it's really just about having those meaningful connections with fans and people who support what you're doing. You know, as far as like the Spotify's and shit of the world, like I think we're past the tipping point. You know what I mean? I don't oh, yeah. think any of that stuff's necessarily going to topple. Um, it'd be nice to see. And I think like, you know, people have been pushing towards uh, band camp more, which is cool because yep. like people are definitely making more money off of that so i think it's like raising the awareness of the general public i guess a bit i don't know i mean i can't tell you how many vhs tapes i made that start with the don't copy this tape because piracy is illegal <laughs> you know it's like yeah. for me i just want the people to hear it but it is you know that is the rub but i think that's also what makes you have to get creative about it you know so it's, in a per uh, in a perfect world in the devil's advocates section of our show in a perfect world, we have to find a way to coexist with Spotify and the other streaming sites, but not lose the vision of trying to bring some of the power back to us where we can be able yeah. to actually, you know what I mean? Like, and I mean, I think that there's a lot of that. easy ways to do that. Like I was saying, we do put, we put the single from the record club every month out on Spotify and Apple music and all that which kind of goes back to that thing I was saying earlier about like, if I'm looking for a show, like I'll look the people up on those services. So, I mean, I think that there's, you know, like that's one thing that I'm trying to do to kind of live in this hybrid world is I will put a single on that and you can check it out and everybody can like check it out for free or listen with their subscriptions to the stuff. Um, but then if you like it and you are into it, you can't find the full album on there. You know, you still gotta like, I think direct to customer is the way of the future for the artists you know like i yeah i know a lot of people are doing really good on patreon which our record club is kind of set up like a patreon except patreon takes eight percent of what you make every month so i just figured out how to do it through my own website so i wasn't losing that eight percent because our margins are like as low as they can possibly be across the board right right <laughs> so you know i think it's uh it's hard to say. You know? It's an interesting <laughs> I, conversation though, right? I it mean, is. But yeah, I think there's like an extent, an extent where you got to like, you know, it's just like selling drugs or something. You got to give them some free drugs before you can like <laughs> sell them a bunch of drugs. <laughs> there, oh my God, there you go. <laughs> Spike McGuire. For you the know, kids. And that's like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be honest, man. Some of the best business advice I ever got was from a drug dealer. And uh because I was selling some weed in college, which I think I can admit now because it's legal. Statue of limitations, weed. right? Yeah, um, my statutory limitations are up. But um, I was like, "How much did I sell this weed for?" And the, whatever he said, I was like, "That's a lot less than I thought you were going to say." And he's like, "Listen, man, it's not about how much you can sell the weed for; it's about how much weed you can sell." And I'm like, "Yeah, there is something to be said for that." It's funny because that's applicable <laughs> to anything, right? I mean, that's a that's, it is. Yeah, I mean, know. it's like you know. <laughs> 
are you better off selling like 10 things for $30 or are you better off selling a hundred things for $3? Well, it's like, you're the same off money wise, but one way 90 more people are listening to what you just sold them. You know what I mean? And that's like a lot to be said for that. I think the best thing you can do is build up, build up fans that will come to the shows. Yeah. The merch, support. the merch booth is a lot of, uh, which is hard during it. the pandemic, right? Cause yeah. the pandemic basically merch was taken away from the artists to a degree because totally. it's, it's so much harder to sell a t-shirt you know, on, and I'm just going to use a t-shirt as an example, but so much harder to sell a t-shirt online than it is to sell a t-shirt in a, uh, a gig, you know, a bar, you know, wherever you're playing a club, right? Because oh, yeah, you totally. have that personal interaction, you know? So what I could say, yeah, if you're you know, at home in your jammies, you're going to be like, um, and maybe I shouldn't spend money on a Spike McGuire t-shirt right now, but like at the bar covered in sweat, just have the time of your life and you're a little bit drunk. You're gonna buy the T-shirt immediately, and 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 you have those you have those simple price points where it's like I got ten bucks, you know. What I mean, you make totally. it simple where it's like it's a decision that doesn't take a lot of thought to go. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I guess what I could say is for the listeners out there that are listening to this, um, through everything that's gone on, all your artists, your, your the people you enjoy listening to, and the, the shows you enjoy supporting, now is the time to, you know step up a little bit more in terms of like buy the t-shirt if you didn't buy the t-shirt you know buy buy the physical you know uh music if you hadn't those things are definitely going to help a lot of us out that didn't have those opportunities for the last you know basically what 15 months if you really think about it totally and like even if you don't even if you want to support an artist but you don't necessarily have the means to buy a cd that month or like whatever you know, shows are coming back. It doesn't cost you anything to like call your friend in South Carolina and be like, hey, I just want to let you know this artist that I really like that I think you would really like is playing in your town tonight. And like that doesn't cost you a thing. And then you just wind up catching up with an old friend on the phone, too, you know, so. But it, that's very well put, man. I I I can't disagree with you. I, I, there's there's buddies of mine that I would do that with, too. Like, you know, you know, hey, my friend, you know. Mike Zito, he's playing, you know, he's playing in New Jersey, you know, go out and yeah. check him out. You'll really dig him. He's awesome, you know, and those, and it does make a difference. All those little things do make a difference. Um, yeah. Now is the time, even though you did the whole show, which I'm totally cool with. Now's the time to plug or promote yourself at all. So uh, go for it. Yeah. Loudest Folk Record Club. Uh, go to loudestfolk.com slash record club. Get brand new music delivered to you any way you like. We'll deliver it to you in your inbox, on your computer, in uh, digital download or streaming form, or we'll deliver it to your inbox out here in the real world. We'll send you CDs, we'll send you cassettes, we'll send you vinyl every month, shipping included. Plans start as low as $1. Everything is very reasonably priced. We work with artists from all over the country. Uh, even the first release from the Record Club is our early recordings compilation. There's two international artists on there. So a lot of folks have been going on for about 10 years now. I've made so many cool friends. I'm really proud of the people that I've gotten to work with. And the record club is a, really a showcase of that. Um, a lot of people have tried to be like, Oh, when can I get on the record club? And it's like, it's going to be a long time. Cause there's like, all, you know, a hundred people like this is just these posters behind me is a small fraction of like the awesome people uh, who I've gotten to work with. And that's like who I'm trying to record and, you know, if you like me, if you think that I'm a cool guy and that I probably have good taste, uh, 
consider that consider that as a factor the main reason i do this record club is to curate my own cd collection uh because you know I love people's full band albums, but I just love watching songwriters strip down just them and their guitar to the most raw essence of the song. That's what Loudest Folk has always been about. And that's what we're really focused on in this record club is like these records that I wish I had, you know, like people that I've had play a bunch of times and I go, oh man, I wish I could listen to that song and have it just sound like being there at the show. Uh, And I guess this is less promotional, but, you know, this is something that I'll say related to it is there's like, Tons of great studios, uh, by no means do I think that we're like the greatest recording studio in the world, but I do think that we are uh, pretty high on the list for the very specialized kind of thing that we do. I've been a solo artist for a long time, and it's, it's really hard to walk into most studios and say, I just want to sing and play my guitar at the same time and make a songwriter record that sounds like me playing a show just because that's, you know, not the main thing coming through recording studios. Um, I recorded a couple of bands, had a ton of fun doing it. I don't think I would ever consider myself a, a full band expert recorder or producer. I leave that to people who have focused more on that. We've been really dedicated to just like, I don't know, just getting the rawest, truest portrait of songwriters, which is, it's really hard to find recordings like that. And that's what I really enjoy. Um, So that's why we're doing it. You know, we're doing it because it's what we want. And I think that that will come through in the music. And it's just, you know, if you're into songwriter stuff at all, it's a very special way to hear some of your favorite folks. I completely agree with you, man. And I think what you're doing is amazing. Super proud of you, dude. I mean, thanks so much for being so generous with your time today, too. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to do it. I really feel like if uh, the listener made it all the way to the end of this, they got a lot of great information from you today. And uh, I felt like the talk was awesome as usual. It's always nice to catch up with you, man. And and I'm really happy and proud to be able to promote you today and and promote you on the pod. So um, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the questions. I thought that this was, I thought I was going to have to tell a lot of incriminating stories about the wild times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could always have you on the show again and you could do that too. So (laughs) Uh, anyway, yeah, that's today's theme was balanced. Next time you see me, the theme will be unbalanced. Like, uh, well, you know what? There's a there's a segment I'm going to do every once in a while where I'm going to bring Brit on the show and it's going to be called uh, Tales from the Cover Band. And nice. <laughs> so there'll be one there'll be there'll be definitely, you know, there'll be a Tales from the Road too and uh I would love to have as many of my friends come on and tell a tale or two from the road because not only is it fun to hear those stories, it's also important for aspiring artists to understand okay, I don't want to make that mistake. I want to make that mistake. You know what I mean? But like, you know, just, just understanding what you're in for and navigating, you know <laughs> oh, what I mean? Man. Cause there's great you, stories. You can man. listen to stories all day and I'll never prepare you what you could be in for, <laughs> for oh, life as a musician. It, I'll, I'll tell you one, you tell me one, then we'll get out of here. And then right. uh, at the end of the show, we're going to play one of your songs. So, uh, one of my favorite ones was, uh, we were playing uh we were playing out of town somewhere i can't remember where it was but we stayed in a hotel and the hotel was so messed up that the carpet of the hotel was higher than the hotel door so we couldn't <laughs> shut the hotel door all the way so i slept against the door so no one if they tried to break in they would hit my body first and it would wake me up and we would know all right somebody's trying to break into our hotel that's hilarious. Yeah, and I mean that's a PG one, but that's <laughs> that, that's a pretty awesome one. Give uh, give me one of yours. 
you know, we were playing in uh, Aberdeen, Washington one time, which I'll tell you what, if you ever take a trip to Aberdeen, Washington, you'll be like, boy, Kurt Cobain and Leroy Virgil sure make a lot more sense to me now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, they're both from there. Anyways, yeah, we were playing there and like we had a good show. We blew the PA like twice and then we wound up just unplugging and like standing on the pool tables and like really had people partying, which led to us going back to somebody's house and really partying there. And uh, I'll start by saying the moral of the story is always have somebody sleep in the van. Uh, if you're on tour and all of your gear is in the van, I don't care if every single person could have a five-star hotel room. One person needs to sleep in the van. It's like tragic how much you hear about vans getting all of their stuff stolen. Sleep in the van. So that was always a policy with Six Miles. So we're partying. And uh, Nate, our fiddle player, he was like, you know, he was just like tired, ready to sleep. So he's like, I'm just going to go sleep in the van. You know? The smallest guy in your, in your group, too, guarding the van. Yeah. Well, he's tough. <laughs> you know <laughs> If there's if there's one thing that Six Mile always says after the show, it's uh, don't judge us by our size, judge us by our abilities. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but but anyway, so you know, Nate was like had just gotten done brushing his teeth or something, and Jeff, our drummer, was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm like ready to go to bed too. And then uh, the rest of us are just like kind of more degenerate alcoholics, and like, yeah, we're house party. We'll see you in the fucking morning. We probably won't even sleep. So anyway, so then Jeff goes to bed. And we got two guys sleeping in the van. That's like as safe as you can be, you know? Uh, but the funny thing is that they each thought the other one had locked the van, and but nobody had locked the van. And so then fast forward maybe like 20 minutes and they hear some ruckus outside and somebody's going through cars. They're just like car after car, breaking into cars and rifling cars, you know? And right. so Jeff is watching all this uh, from like the side door of the van through the side view window or whatever. And so then they, these guys like walk up to the van and they go to open the door and just like, you know, this close to the window. And it's like, oh, I'm fine. Cause Nate locked the door or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and so then, and so then they go to try and open the van door. And of course it just like opens right up, but Jeff is like up against it already. And he's like, I didn't know what to do, man. So I just let out the most like metal scream I could. And I roared at these guys and the two guys just like took off like a shot running down the street. If I had to guess, I'd say they probably never robbed another car That's in amazing. their life. But uh, yeah, always have somebody sleep in the van. We were lucky that we had two sleeping in the van that night. That's but, uh, that's amazing, dude. And, yeah. and I mean, the price of admission of listening to the pod today was that story I just got. <laughs> That's so awesome. A, a metal yeah. scream to wouldn't that be great too if like you found out those guys like straightened their lives up and didn't rob oh, it, totally, you yeah. know what I mean? And like went back to college and got a degree or something. <laughs> 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 Offer some crazy dude in a folk band screaming at them when they, yeah. when they try to rob a rob a van. That's yeah. amazing, dude. Hey, and that's and to follow up with that, also, this isn't even part of a story. This is just a short thing. Always have somebody sleep in the van and also have a safe in the van. Um, even if you're not into like, you know, weed was illegal back in our days. So if you wanted some weed in the van, putting it in the safe was the best thing to do because you got to have a warrant uh, to search a safe. But also when you're touring, you will find um, that you just got like wads of money, not necessarily like a fortune or anything, but it will be all of the money that you have in the world. And uh, like, you know, when I set up a bank account, I went with Bank of America because they had the most banks anywhere. So it would be easy to deposit. But there's still like there's still some states and places that don't have them. Uh, so get a safe 
for the van because you're going to be out there flat broke. The only money you're going to have is going to be coming in cash from the bars for playing the shows and cash from selling the merch. And if anything bad happened, God forbid, you know, if you don't have somebody sleeping in the van and somebody breaks in, having a safe in there is going to save you a lot of heartache, both from criminals and the police. That's the a two great... natural enemies of touring bands. <laughs> That's a great point, man. And the reason why it's such a great point is you have to have a bank when you're running merch. So it's like you have to have cash on you at all times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like you go to an ATM, what are you getting? You're getting a twenty dollar bill, right? In case yeah. of twenty, right, or fifty or hundred. But if you're running a merch table, you need fives and ones. Totally. So you're going to have that that disposable income per se, and then yeah. if you're playing one show, it's not. I mean, what are the odds of you depositing that? You're probably not going to. You're probably going to keep it and go. All right, we're using this bank now for the next show at the merch table, and then you know what I mean. So that's a you know yeah. I never I, mean, I like never thought of that. A couple of days out, and you've got like say you got fourteen hundred dollars, which is like yeah. to normal people like no large amount of money, but to a touring band is like an insurmountable amount of money. So it's just like. It's, you know, it's tough. So you got to stay smart because that's like, there have been plenty of times that we went out and like the only money that any of us had was going to be what we got at the show to pay for gas to the next show. And it's like, you're working on these really small margins and some nights are good and some nights they're not. But if you have to take a financial hit like that, it's will be absolutely devastating. You absolutely read my mind because that was the one thing I was thinking is, is sometimes it'd be like, okay, I need, we need gas to get to the next town. Right. I mean, it was always it yeah. was always food, food and gas, right? Were the two most important yep. things, right? Everything else is secondary, but food and gas. And depending on where you are, depending on what year it is, depending on how high gas prices are, you know, it, that could be, like you said, that could be crippling to the point where you're like, you know, you're busking. You know what I mean? On the uh, you're yeah. busking in the town to try to make enough gas money to, to get to the next town because someone just robbed you of the money you made from the show. So that's, yeah. that's excellent advice, man. Um, Loved you on the show, dude. Love you as a person. Love what you're doing for the community, man. I, I really appreciate our talk today. Yeah, me too, man. Love you as well. And uh, you've always just been a shining star here in Reno. So very happy to call you a close friend and happy to be on this new podcast. And Absolutely. I'm very excited to check out Eric Anderson's episode too. Yeah, yeah. Everything will be up. Well, I mean, it's it's already up when this will this be released. But uh yeah, it's it's been a labor of love, and I'm excited about doing these. And just like I said, trying to find people with good stories, stories that you know I think will benefit listeners to the point where they want to just listen. Like your, like your, you know, your record club. Like you, you give a good enough product, you're just going to want to listen because you know you're going to get some good information. And that's that's totally. what I'm hoping for in the long term. And then obviously having bigger artists too would be great, and some idols and heroes would love to have on the show too. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But. uh Thanks for coming on the show, man. Take care. Enjoy your week, okay? You as well. And if anybody out there has uh, any other just random questions about touring, I'm always happy to talk music. You can get me uh, through email at info at loudestfolk.com, and I'll be happy to uh, give any advice that I might have. That would be awesome, Spike. Thank you so much, my cool. friend. Little things ain't been coming to Try and try, but I can't keep up. Maybe I'm slowing down. Maybe I just lost my touch. Maybe I'm just lost.
Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. I don't wanna live under all these clouds. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. Only light there is cast a shadow of a doubt. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. I don't wanna live under all these clouds. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. Only light there is cast a shadow of a doubt. You're the right gear, unless it makes sense. Still too young, yeah. Know what I regret? Plenty of things wouldn't do again. If I had to start it over, where would I begin? Where do I begin? Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. I don't wanna live under all these clouds. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. Only like there is, cast a shadow of a doubt. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. I don't wanna live under all these clouds. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. Only like there is, cast a shadow of a doubt. Every question either brings an answer or lessons. Oh, if you're gonna ask, then you better think fast. Otherwise, you get caught living in the past. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. I don't wanna live under all these clouds. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. Only like there is, cast a shadow of a doubt. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. I don't wanna live under all these clouds. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out. Only like there is, cast a shadow of a doubt. Something's gotta give. Something's gotta give. Something's gotta give if we're ever getting out.